When it comes to cybersecurity, reacting to a threat isn't always enough. You have to get ahead and stay ahead of the escalating risks. My name is Sid Yenamander, and I'll be your host for Unencrypted Truth, a podcast powered by Entrada, the leading provider of comprehensive cybersecurity compliance software tools designed specifically for wealth managers and other regulated industries. All season, I'll be interviewing business professionals about what's keeping them up at night and how they're successfully mitigating the looming vulnerabilities that may exist within their firms, whether it's ransomware or cybersecurity compliance. We'll uncover the role cybersecurity education and training plays in preparing an organization for a cyber threat and help clarify the differences between preventative cybersecurity versus cyber insurance. There's a lot of truths to share, so let's unencrypt it together and dive right in. Hey, super excited today to have Jeff Moore join us today. Jeff is the Chief Information Security Officer of Valmark. Super excited, Jeff. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Sid. Give us a little background on yourself and what Valmark does and your priorities within the organization. Yep. So Jeff Moore, Chief Information Officer of Valmark Financial Group. I've been in technology and financial services my entire career, so 20 plus years Velmark Financial Group is a BGA, a broker general insurance agency. So we do life insurance, like whole life broker dealer. So variable annuities, mutual funds, and registered investment advisors. So our advisors typically are what we call three circle advisors that play in both the life insurance, broker dealer, and registered investment advisor space. Got it. So Jeff, in the past few years, post-COVID, a lot of things have changed in the way organizations work. From your perspective at Bellmark, I mean, you all had a independent contractor model. You had advisors that were out in the field. You were already kind of working in a remote first type environment. But if you take that and you take some of the complications that COVID kind of brought in, in terms of how folks work, what are you seeing as some of the big changes in the cyber risk and just compliance landscape in general? Yeah. So I think as a technologist, you think my first answer would be some sort of whiz-bang technology, or I'm going to talk about work from home or something like that. But actually, I think one of the biggest changes has been cyber insurance and mitigating the risk of cyber through insurance. And why do I say that? I think because largely everything is more digital now, right? So there's a greater risk. People are online more and the bad guys have gotten, continue to get more sophisticated. So I think as an industry, seeing more attempts, more activity. And I don't necessarily think the underwriting community for cyber insurance has totally gotten their hands on this and they're necessarily asking the right questions. So what we're seeing is people that have had an incident in the past, when they go to renew, they're seeing much larger premiums than previous renewals. So I think in terms of risk change landscape, I think we're seeing a lot of change around the cyber risk coverage. But kind of on the interesting innovation end of things, we're starting to see more innovation around like the money ball, right? Like people are starting to figure out how do I mitigate this risk? What are the questions I need to ask? And we're starting to see some stuff where people are like, okay, well, let's actually hook in some tools to start getting better data and telemetry. So if you think about insurance from more like property and casual or like auto insurance, right? You got the examples where you can plug in the thing and then they get all of your data about how you drive your car, right? right. I think we are starting to see the beginnings of people trying to cover this cyber risk doing the same sort of thing. I think we're still in the very early innings of this, but I think that might be some innovation that we're starting to see that could be helpful. Yeah. Are you seeing some areas within cyber insurance that are not 
covered in terms of how the policies are written. For example, ransomware has been an issue that plagued us. I think during the pandemic, yeah. there was a threefold increase in the number of ransomware attacks that firms have experienced. Are you seeing firms exclude and the insurance providers exclude ransomware from their coverage, or is that a different policy? So devil is in the details with all of these policies, right? I don't think there is an apples to apples per se. Everyone's going to be a little bit different and you need to make sure we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but really being understanding what it is your policy actually covers correct, and what you need to do in place, because they're also asking you a lot of questions on the front end that I think can be vague and you better be clear about how you answer them and that you're doing the things you say you're doing because everyone's kind of just rushing through the process, right? They're just like, yeah, sure, sounds good. But when you're answering those questions and you have an incident, then there's going to be a tremendous amount of focus, right? Well, you said X, Y, Z that you had this covered and now you had an incident and it was related to this thing on that you attested on this questionnaire was this and you might be voiding your coverage. So again, it just devils in the details on all these policies. And to your point, some cover ransomware, some don't. How do they define ransomware? And now, right, with all of this timeliness with the Ukraine activity, right? Yes. So we're starting to see how does your policy cover state actors? Right. More of those questions are starting to come out. Where in the past, maybe not might as much. It makes total sense. So what keeps you up at night as a CIO of your organization? Like what kind of catastrophic risks from a cyber standpoint worries you? Yeah, two biggest ones that worry me are ransomware and wire fraud. So ransomware, I find terrifying only because I've got my like CIO circle of friends, right? Where we can be trust and tell each other the truth and all this kind of stuff. Right. And it is amazing to me the level of detail that some of these hackers now are going to. So you've heard these stories about people getting into the backups, right? So people thought they could rely on their backup, but it was done in such a way that they were not protected or specifically Office 365, I mean, you and I have talked in the past about this, that Microsoft tells you, right? They tell you, you cannot rely on us alone. You have to have a third party to back up your stuff someplace else. Right. And, you know, one of my friends that this happened to, they didn't have a third party backing up their Office 365 data. They thought they could rely on Microsoft itself. And that was not the case when it came to ransomware. They were even able to dive into their OneDrive data and start taking out archived versions of their data. It was not pretty. I keep thinking we're protected, right? I think we have like an immutable backup. Until you actually like air gap that data someplace else, I just feel like there's still some way they could potentially get in. So in the second category, wire fraud, in some ways it's a little bit less technical, but it can have the largest impact. A large part of my community, independent investment advisors, a lot of who you serve as well, they're prime targets. They can be smaller organizations, especially in the independent channel. They can be smaller, maybe a little bit less sophisticated with their technology at times, but they handle large amounts of money. Right. And we're seeing their clients potentially, right? If their client gets infected via their inbox and if they're not following their firm's policies and procedures, there's definitely a potential to be taken advantage of. So, and you've started to see this from the big custodians too. They're starting to tighten up some of their procedures on what they want to see out of advisors, specifically with money movement type activity. Got it. Makes sense. Wire fraud, ransomware, top issues. I mean, I think. We discussed earlier, I think ransomware attacks are getting more strategic, more technical, very hard to find, very hard to mitigate against. And certainly insurance doesn't help in some cases if you, if you get the wrong policy. Um, what are you doing about innovations? What excites you the most when you look at some of the, you know, there's a company that seems that gets funded weekly in the area of cybersecurity and just compliance and risk. 
personally for you and your organization, Jeff, like what innovations excite you saying, wow, that's really cool stuff. I haven't seen anything like that before. Yeah. So there's two. And they're, again, they're really not as technical. So the first is developer training. So sometimes when you think about typical security awareness training, it's aimed at your everyday end user, but our developers are in a whole special category onto their own. And typically they're given sort of general frameworks, but they're not given specific frameworks on how to code properly. If you think about like the OWASP or something, maybe somebody's checked off that they've watched a video, right? But I feel like as a developer, has that person really internalized what they need to know to create secure solutions? Probably not. So we're starting to see some vendors out there that are creating specialized training where a developer can actually see the hole that was created from like the public news story and then basically get a chance to seal the gap themselves hands-on in the language that they use themselves and i think that is a great innovation because even if you do things like code review that's a tough area to make sure that everyone on your team especially if a large group of software developers to make sure they're doing a good job because you know one line of code that goes bad or wrong or maybe a bad architecture design it could really leave a big gap do you have a comment on that yeah, you know, it's so funny. I mean, I think code vulnerability, software life, life cycle management, and, you know, how you, you bake in security into your CI CD pipeline when you're building. Yes, that too. Right. I mean, I, th those are big issues. I mean, as, as a software developer, we go through that quite a bit. But I'll tell you something that happened to me that is so basic than that, where we actually had an offshore developer post code on a, his personal GitHub account. So he checked in code into GitHub thinking it was going into the corporate repository. It actually went into his private repo and he didn't have a security setting set up properly on his personal repo. So it was public. We terminated the employee and, you know, it was a whole process, but it took us a few weeks to discover who that was. Right. So I totally agree. I mean, for somebody like that to watch a security awareness training video about password security or VPN security is great, but doesn't really help them in terms of the things that they're actually doing. So I think a lot of developers tend to take security not as seriously because they think they can always come back and fix it. Yeah. You get the code, get it right, get it checked in time. And so you leave a lot of holes. And or that's the infrastructure team's responsibility, or that's, I make the interface pretty or whatever. No, so that's a valid, excellent point. Yeah. What else? I'd say the other area is what I call real-time feedback for users. So think about a coaching analogy, right? If I'm an NFL coach, right? Do I give my players feedback at the end of the season or do I give them to it like right after the play or during halftime? I try to create feedback as close to the event as possible. So I think right. we're starting to see a lot more innovation around near or almost real-time feedback with activity. So I think there's some new startups in that space that are doing that activity or even some basics from Microsoft, right? Like you can turn on settings that say, if you have PII and someone tries to email PII, send the user a notice or maybe block it. Think about this. So let's say I'm, you know, in financial services, we're moving data around all the time, right? And maybe I have a spreadsheet and I think I've sort of sanitized it, but maybe I have a hidden column in my sheet that's social security numbers, right? I didn't even see it. I was just going about my day, doing everything, and then it's there. Well, now the machine is catching it, right? When we're sending it out and letting us know, hey, that thing you just sent had PII or socials in it. Do you really want to send this? Probably not. Or maybe I do. I don't know. It depends. But at least they're getting a chance to be aware of it. Whereas before, people could be sending it out all the time and not knowing. So 
Again, those are in some ways less technical, but more, I really feel, especially with cyber, it's really about user behavior more so than right. I, there's this meme I love that says how people think they get hacked. And it has the picture of the guy like Matrix or whatever. And then how they really get hacked, you know, posting puzzles to Facebook with all of their PII on it. Right. That's how it really happens. That's another excellent point. I, I mean, the, the closest thing that comes to mind is when you're trying to change your password and it tells you that, by the way, this particular password is leaked in the dark web. Yes. And so, you know, you've got Gmail, you've got a lot of these mail services that actually tie dark web monitoring as part of their authentication workflow. So in situ feedback based on what's happening makes makes a lot of sense. It sort of falls into the genre of intuitive systems, right? Yeah. Now that you mentioned passwords, I just wouldn't be remiss with this is I think there is kind of on the MFA topic, that whole like MFA everywhere. I still feel like there's people are pretty good about like maybe like their main email or their main corporate account, but there's all of these other like tangential systems that maybe they haven't thought of that really just try to put it everywhere, especially on their social media accounts, even more so if they have access to their corporate page, mm -hmm. right? So let's say, because typically those social media systems are set up so that you create like your personal account is actually tied to your corporate account. And if you don't have MFA on your personal account, well, not only is your personal at risk, but you've also put your corporate page at risk. So golly gee, it's going to be awful one day if your personal gets hacked and all of a sudden now there's a bunch of messages on your corporate page because you weren't careful with your own personal account. Yeah. What do you think about on the password topic? What do you think about the whole notion of passwordless and MFA tied to passwordless? Because that seems to be an area of innovation as well. I think it totally makes sense. I actually did some consulting with a group. This was like years ago. And our motivation was different at the time. Our motivation was to make it as simple as possible yeah. for people. So we kind of did a similar system to what you would do, like how you use your TV, right? Where they put up the code, you go to the site, you get the two-factor, you put it in, and then that device is now trusted until a certain time period or whatever. So yeah, I, I kind of like it because it, it just bakes in two-factor. Actually, we worked on some technology at Valmark for client-facing portal account opening type stuff. And to make it easy, we made it passwordless. It's just 2FA, right? Yeah. You get you get a link and then we already know your, we know your trusted phone number, right? Not the one the hacker sent to us to use. Right. <laughs> <laughs> use that and then they get the secure link to their phone and then they punch it in. It makes a ton of sense to me. Yeah, no, I so figured that the MFA has always been a top priority for you mm -hmm. and it mm -hmm. is for the industry. So, so that's great. Finally, Jeff, with everything that you know, what recommendations would you give other firms that are maybe not up the curve like you are in terms of the protocols and the hygiene? What would you recommend organizations to go do from a cyber standpoint? Like what are some tips? I'd say the biggest one is get the team together. And so what do I mean by get the team together or form the band, right? Like you want to form the band. Form the band is it's more than IT. It's putting IT, it's putting legal, it's putting compliance, it's putting finance all in the same room together. I think for me, that has probably been one of the best blessings. We have a chief compliance officer that day one he showed up, he was very interested in technology. He was very interested in cyber. He would ask me questions. I mean, it was almost exhausting, like until he would understand. And that I, I feel very lucky to have a group of people that want to partner with me. And when I talk to other groups that don't have that, I, I feel like it's hard. Now, granted, right? It's like somebody's up in your business, but... At the same time, you know, if you do have an event, you've got this team together that you've helped make a decision, that you've educated on the risks, and you all made that together. Everybody knew the trade-offs in the room so that when something bad happens, it's not like, 
Jeff, well, you told us blah, blah, blah. Or Jeff, why didn't you explain that risk to us? I have people that are actively asking the questions. And I, I just think the quality of your program is going to be better if you get just more diverse viewpoints. And I'll say, as an IT person, truly, I've learned a lot about writing policy. I am not skilled at writing policy. But when I have compliance and legal experts, they are experts in policy. I think I found initially was like, gosh, this seems like we're spending a lot of time just kind of like going over semantics. But I tell you what, when you get into trouble, like those semantics matter. They make a big difference right. in how things are done. So I think that would be probably my biggest takeaway is if you don't have a cybersecurity committee or team, I would say putting one together, that's probably been the biggest asset we've had in terms of making progress as an organization. Makes sense. Awesome. Jeff, I want to thank you. This was wonderful. I, I think the some of the innovations you talked about, some of the regulatory frameworks and some of the tip. I want to thank you for joining me today, Jeff. And you're welcome to join us again on another episode if you're choosing. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for, for doing this. This concludes this episode of The Unencrypted Truth. Thank you, Sid. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Unencrypted Truth. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. To learn more about how Entrada can provide comprehensive cybersecurity software to protect your client data, visit entrada.com forward slash podcast. And please be sure to follow, rate, and review this show wherever you listen to your audio content. We'll be back with even more Truths to Unencrypt on our next episode.